Welcome to Design for AI. I'm Mark Bailey. Today we'll be talking to Michelle Carney. She's a computational neuroscientist turned UXer. Uh, Michelle's practice focuses on the intersection of data science and UX. Currently, she's a senior UX researcher for the Google AI UX team. And Michelle's projects focus mainly on combining machine learning and UX into cool projects. Outside of work, Michelle organizes the Machine Learning and UX Group and teaches at the Stanford D School as a lecturer for designing machine learning course and various workshops. Welcome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mark. I'm so happy to be here. Great. So I just wanted to go ahead and start out with a few background questions. So for our first question, I'm curious how you would describe uh, machine learning for UX. Yes. So how I typically describe this is how do we use data and data intensive experiences um, to really inform and drive design experiences. So uh, like, hey, how do we use UI metrics data, um, uh, click data, uh, quantitative data, data about like um, large scale patterns and trends to make the best experiences for our users. But also like, how do we design experiences around these very data intensive experiences that make it transparent to our end users, like what the models are doing, how they can control it, how it might impact their lives, like where is all that data coming from? Um, so, so really thinking about like, hey, uh, both sides around like um, not just what are cool ML models or data science quantitative methods that can inform the future um, designs and products that we might have, but also how do we make those products transparent to our end user about like, hey, this is how like the system is working. Um, so that way they feel like they're empowered to do other cool stuff. And like it leads to some really cool examples. Um, I know that this is a podcast, but uh, definitely check out the Pinterest visual search, I think is one of my favorites. So like instead of having to go back up to the top and like research, you can just receive the search right in the visual queue. Or like if you've ever seen Google's quick draw and auto draw examples, that's a really powerful um, combination of machine learning UX coming together to make a really cool product. Just kind of an intro to you and your workspace. What topics do you find interesting for designing for AI and machine learning? Yeah, I mean, I'm super excited in the field. Um, I, a little bit about my background, too. I actually um, studied computational neuroscience as an undergrad and uh, did a lot of those machine learning models and everything, too. Um, but, like, the tools have totally changed since I was an undergrad. Like, before, you'd have to, like, spin up your own cluster and everything, too. But, like, tools like Jupyter Notebooks and uh, Colab and stuff make it so much easier for, like, anyone to do um, machine learning stuff, and uh, including things like Runway and ML5.js, too. So, so um, I'm super excited about like the future of like, you know, with ML and AI being accessible to everyone, how are we going to co-create the future with these tools? Um, what will that look like? Um, you know, what are cool other things that, you know, non-machine learning scientists uh, might come up with too, like educators or law and policy folks? Um, yeah, so uh, uh, I think too, like I, we're seeing a lot of these applications um, impact our everyday life. So um, I'm just excited as like this field emerges and changes, like what are, what is the future of like red lines or any other UX design guidelines going to be when it's like more dynamic and has to show like the probabilistic state of machine learning? Yeah, no, that's definitely. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious, how did you get involved or interested in AI? Yeah. So um, my, when I was at Berkeley for undergrad, I studied um 
molecular cell biology and cognitive sciences, but basically like how do we model perception with mathematical models? Like that's a really interesting computer problem. Our brains do it really easily. Um, so I, I started studying that there specifically around sound. Um, and uh, yeah, I just thought that it was fascinating too to like think about, you know, um, it's something that we take for granted because we're able to just do it so quickly and easily, but like how do you model this stuff? And also like, how could you augment the human experience with these types of tools and features and everything too? Wow. That, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that seems, <laughs> yeah. That's going from one complicated thing to another. All right. Well, so the thing that, uh, that I first was introduced to you by was the MLUX group there in the Bay area. And so I'm kind of curious, what led you to start the MLUX uh, meetup group? Yeah, so um, so I uh, did my undergrad in computational neuroscience, right? Then I moved to uh, working in UX research because I don't know if you can tell, I love talking to people. Um, so started uh, doing more like qualitative methods, but I was really missing that quantitative side. So um, I went back to uh, grad school. I went to the UC Berkeley School of Information where I got my master's um, in machine learning, data science, and UX. Um, super cool program, like big plus one for that. Um, but while I was there, I was like, I can't be the only one that's interested in studying this. I can't be the only one interested in practicing this. And I found a bunch of other folks kind of interested in not only just like machine learning, AI, and UX, but like policy applications, all this stuff too. Um, so, uh, and a great alumni network as well. So I decided, you know, I'm just gonna start maybe a 30 person monthly pizza party kind of thing. And it totally ballooned. Um, I think our second event at Autodesk, we had like 200 people show up and we're like, oh no, this is too many people interested in this feature. Um, so we've been really fortunate. So we started about two years ago um, and it's all volunteer uh, sponsored. So venues sponsor uh, or volunteer their space and sponsor food and speakers and all that stuff too. Um, but we've really had no shortage of speakers or anything either, which has been awesome. Uh, so uh, yeah, so um, originally founded to like, just because I was interested in the field, but it's very clear and apparent that like a lot of other folks are interested in doing really cool stuff in this space too. So um, yeah. No, it sounds uh, very similar to the backstory uh, for me creating this podcast. <laughs> Just yeah, it's one of those things where you want more people to interested in the same thing that you are. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for making the podcast. I'm excited uh, to see it too. So. <laughs> oh yeah. No, sure. Uh, and so, what are the goals that you want to accomplish uh, with the MLUX group? Yeah, so um, what we're trying to do is create a collaborative space for anyone interested in machine learning, AI, data science, as well as like UX, design, research, anyone really in between to come together, share those best practices, create a community around this too, because we really don't have it solved. Like this is a new and emerging technology and we're really excited about the future of that. So um, really just by hosting regular events where we all get to meet each other, meet the actual faces behind the cool products that are coming out is really important. We're very lucky that in the Bay Area, there's a lot of that. Um, although I know up in Seattle, there's a lot of that too. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, really our goal is to just host a space for folks to come together and for us to learn from each other. Um, really learning from those best practices with our speakers and all that stuff too. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm vigorously shaking my head on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very much needed. Uh, and so you were saying that you've been doing this for, uh, for a couple of years now. Um, 
So I'm kind of curious to see how you've seen your audience and content change over that time. Yeah. So um, I'm so happy that you asked that because uh, if you've seen my previous talks or anything before of like design week, I am ecstatic when I'm like, we've been doing this for two years and now there's jobs in this. Um, When I first got started and I would tell people like, oh, I'm interested in ML and UX, people would kind of like look at me like, "Mm, if you're interested in both, you must not be able to do either very well. Like I don't, those are two separate job categories, like all this stuff too, which now sounds like silly to say because we see a rise in these types of jobs and everything too so um yeah just in the two years that we've like founded it um we've seen a huge rise in like uh jobs as i mentioned but what what i actually mean by jobs is like um the role of like machine learning prototyper is something that's really interesting to me so like this idea that how do you make a low fidelity machine learning model to just run research on that um so uh ideo has a data science practice that's kind of around this right now too Uh, we've also seen the role of like ux designer focused on bridging the um, disciplines of design and ml or ai practices um, which is super exciting too Um, a lot more of like more systems style design too. So like, what does it mean to make a modular style system? Um, that is something that can work really well with machine learning. So like, what does it mean to have everything kind of be powered by almost like confidence intervals? Like, Oh, how, how confident are you in this type of, uh, uh, content and it's modular so it can easily change shape and everything too um, as well as um, allow for feedback for these systems and everything too that's why systems designers are, are kind of interesting because it's like uh, well how do we make sure the system from the beginning um, allows and uh, invites feedback because machine learning is probabilistic so it won't always work um, as you'd expect so like treat that as like a graceful failure and be like cool like how could we improve for the future and make it very clear to your end user like the value of um, giving feedback to the system, not just for like, you know, them immediately, but also like long term, like how can this help them get better content that they want and all that stuff too. So uh, it seems like it's one of those things where the UX is, uh, it's going to get pushed a lot more into the system designer uh, direction as ML catches on to more and more industries. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like the other thing that's been really interesting too is that, um, you know, it can sometimes feel like, uh, uh, at first it felt like a lot of chatbots and AI systems, um, but actually the more that, you know, we continue and and showcase some really great examples, it's very clear that like um, ML and UX is so much more than just like AI, like chatbots and like Alexas and whatever. It, It really is like a lot of the experiences that we have are algorithmically driven. So like, how do we make sure that that, like is apparent to the end user, like where that data is coming from. And it doesn't feel like AI is just something that happens to them, but they actually have control of the system. And it's been really cool because like the audience is um, pretty much evenly split between machine learning analysts, data science folks and um, UX practitioners. So um, it's nice to kind of like keep that consistent over the years and everything too. And also showcase those voices and the speakers that we invite to speak. The area that I'm interested in is GANs. And I mean, that hasn't even broken into any large applications yet so things should really get interesting when that happens yeah totally and like um just on the topic of gans too there's so many interesting artists like um helena Saren, i believe is one and uh like jean kogan doing cool stuff with like gans um that you know like uh i know that 
like for me, I always get folks coming to me from the design field, like, oh my gosh, like AI is going to take our jobs. I think because they see what happens with GANs. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, like, how do you think of it in terms of instead of AI is going to take my job, more of like AI is going to introduce more creative design problems that I will now have to apply my practice to in cool new creative ways. Um, I think Autodesk does a really good job at this too, how they use um, GANs for like new building design stuff. Um, and, uh, like basically they generate like thousands of new models, but a designer still has to come in and be like, okay, but which ones actually make sense for people? <laughs> like, um, yeah, I think that there's still going to be a human curated touch to it too, which I think is cool, but yeah. So, uh, what, what big problems do you feel like that haven't been answered yet that you're still trying to tackle with the MLUX group? Oh yeah. I mean, so many. Uh, so I feel like, um, like I mentioned, uh, because machine learning is probabilistic and dynamic, um, our, in the UX field, uh, if you're not familiar, we typically have um, design patterns, style guides, red lines that are very static, and they don't really show kind of the dynamic nature of machine learning. Um, so like that's something that, um, instead of like a, a problem, I think it's an exciting opportunity of like, we have not solved that at all. And like, what is that going to look like? Um, I think that's going to be really cool. Like when we figure out like, so um, when you are doing a mock-up of your application before you go and build it, like what will it look like if you um, are a person who like shares your account with a bunch of other people? What would a personalized experience look like there? Or like if you are maybe someone who's urban and like using the app in a different way or something like that. And like being able to showcase like the dynamic nature and not just like the the um you know like oh the content changes a little bit based on whatever but like i mean whole stylistic things of the application um being able to change and adapt um i think that that's going to be really cool um i think too uh around that i think there's going to be like a shift from personas like very like top down personas of like this is you know, Ted and he's an engineer and like, this is how he solves problems or whatever, but to be more like mode based. So like, Oh, like, um, I'm in a discovery mode. So I'm interested in like learning about things, but I don't necessarily want to like, um, let's take the example of like, uh, planning a trip. <laughs> so like if I'm planning a trip, I might be in like a couple different modes. I might be discovery, like understanding what trips are out there, how I might do them. And that might not lead to actually booking a trip. Then there might be like, a, I'm coming here to book a trip very clearly. Um, there might be like, I'm planning a trip for someone else or like, I'm like giving options to other people. I'm sharing them out, that kind of stuff too. So I think like, that's going to be a cool, like, once we kind of nail down what that patterning might look like, that's going to be pretty exciting about like, um, like how do we shift our mental models as a design practice or product practice of like personas into this more like mode based, uh, design practice. I think that'll be yeah. cool. So yeah. And then taking both of those. So once you have the mode base, then you still have to have the customized UX based on, you know, whoever the person is and what, you know, the system already knows about them. Right. Totally. And like this whole idea too, about like, you know, the system could then adapt. Oh, you're in like the search mode. Okay. I'll help you search for things versus like, okay, I, you're indicating to me that you're really ready to book a trip or something. So like, I will help you make it easier to just like book or integrate with your calendar or whatever that might look like. Um, I think that, uh, machine learning is going to like help us get to that point. And like, um, I think that our, 
like how we convey the cool stuff of machine learning is still up in the air, like the design patterns around that. But that's why also it's important to have spaces like your podcast and the MLUX meetup where, you know, you can like bring together folks and they could share ideas and they could like talk about how they might approach these problems. So that way we can push forward the industry. Yep. Design the designing space. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. And so as far as the problems that you already have solved, uh, is there any stash of resources um, that that has been created for the community? Oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you asked. Just a couple weeks ago, I finally um, took my reading list that I have been keeping in a long-running Google Doc and like made it into a a cleaned up Medium article. So um, I finally have like, like drilled down into like, you know, what have I seen cool companies doing? Like, of course, Google's doing some really interesting stuff, like the people in AI Guidebook. Microsoft's also doing some really cool things too. They have like their human-centered AI interaction cards. I'm misquoting them, but like they have some really cool stuff. Spotify is doing some really cool things around like, hey, how do you triangulate between like quantitative, like data science research as well as qualitative, like what happens when the quant and the qual don't line up, that kind of stuff. Um, So there's like individual case studies as well as like other resources and best practices and like those kinds of things that I've seen too. Um, And you can find those at bit.ly slash MLUX resources. It's just like a long running uh, medium post, but yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll make sure to link those in the show notes. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. All right. So let's go ahead and shift gears. Uh, So one of the things that you also do is you're one of the uh, the lecturers at the the, uh, D school for Stanford. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you know, what the material is for, since this is a very much developing industry, uh, where you don't even know what things are going to be like in a few years. So how do you develop the material that you need for the students to teach them how to design for AIML? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that was really important to me, um, was uh, like reflecting on my Berkeley education from uh, undergrad and grad school, it was like very top down, like here is a proof, you prove this and now you code it. And like less of the, um, like like I really got to learn in detail, like, okay, how you evaluate like uh, clustering is with the silhouette coefficient where you look at the root mean squared error between like you're within and between cluster variants like all this like very nitty gritty but like cool I could do that for however long I still don't know what it means for people (laughs) so like that was something that I was like really excited to I I dived into it um, during um, my time at the iSchool but I really wanted to help co-create with the Stanford D School they are fantastic too because they're very big on like experiential learning like um, the you know traditional hexagonal design thinking approach comes from the the D School practice and everything too. So I was kind of like, uh, I had been brainstorming on my own, like, what would like that design thinking approach for machine learning look like and everything too, um, or like a shared vocabulary and stuff too. And really for me, it became apparent that there wasn't like an analogous necessarily, uh, there wasn't like a super analogous um, uh, infographic, but it's very much like the, you have to think about the the ecosystem in which these models exist, if that makes sense. So like, 
the ecosystem in which these models are going to live because like that's something that you know traditional machine learning and data science classes don't cover um traditional design classes talk a lot about like hey what is the impact of the product and and that kind of stuff too so um when we're developing like these materials for the students we really are thinking about like hey let's think about the future of these uh models and examples and everything um a little bit different than traditional ux classes where we already assume uh, the students have had some design thinking so they understand how to problem solve with like the capital d design thinking um, methodology. Um, we also really value interdisciplinary classes too. So our class is actually half technical and half non-technical. So like people from uh, Apple computer vision interns or Google brain interns or all those folks too, as well as like people who are like have a medical degree and like are a doctor or like getting their PhD in education or law and policy or agriculture, um, business, uh, even architecture, those types of disciplines. And we bring them together to kind of think through like, um, what would the future look like if we were to co-create uh, the future of machine learning and AI for all of these disciplines? So um, like this is not the class to take if you want to be a data scientist. Like we're not going to teach you like nitty gritty, like how to code and be a data scientist. Um, but it, it is the class if you want to think about, hey, what would machine learning AI mean for my discipline and how can I apply it to a different field and think about how can I get people to actually use this rather than, you know, how do I make the best model? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So when you have uh, the uh, AI learning, that's not enough. You still have to have the industry-specific knowledge. Otherwise, you just you never know what the pain points are and all that kind of stuff. And that, that becomes so much more important when you're dealing with uh, machine learning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like also, um, you know, when you co-create uh, systems with different disciplines, like when things are designed by everyone, they're for everyone. So how do we get other folks in the room, in the space that typically wouldn't be thinking about the futures of these AI machine learning models and give them the opportunity to be like, hey, what does this actually mean for me? And and think about what that could mean for their practice. So that way, when they do go off in the field, they can really advocate, they understand, we give them a shared vocabulary about like, how do you talk about these things and everything too, so they can really make the best models for them and their, their disciplines. Uh, all right, that's very cool. Uh, and so I'm kind of curious, uh, what are the different types of machine learning that you feel like affect the UX? There's a ton of different ways to think about machine learning, AI, all the stuff when it comes to UX disciplines. Like we had talked about GANs earlier, but like really thinking about like, hey, what does it mean to do personalization? <laughs> like personalize for who? Uh, and like what you know, that's one type of machine learning problem, but also like things like uh, cold start problems or that kind of thing. That's a whole nother type of machine learning system. Um, also things that are like recommendations are a whole nother thing too. So um, there's like just a bunch of new ways, like almost anything that we touch now, I feel like has some kind of machine learning component or algorithmic component. Um, and that's the other thing too, it might feel like machine learning, but it might not actually be machine learning. I think my favorite example of this is the Gmail, like are you sure you attached this? Like, it feels like such a machine learning powered magical experience, but really they just like used a bunch of logic to be like, okay, check for attachment, see attachment, is attached. All those, those types of keywords, right? So, um, yeah, and that, that's always something too that like, uh, whenever I'm talking to other folks in UX design um, who are like, man, like 
you know, everything just feels like so machine learned, like I need to just do all this machine learning powered stuff. It's like, well, but what is the problem that you're actually trying to solve? And like, is machine learning, does it need to be machine learning? Could it just be some kind of like logic, that kind of thing too, and still feel like it's algorithmically um, driven in that way? Yeah. So now do you teach any best practices for what's important for AI uh, with UX? Yes. Some of my favorite best practices actually can be found in this great compilation. Um, I don't know if you've heard about the People in AI guidebook. Um, you can find it at pair.withgoogle.com. Um, but Basically, all of the, the guidelines and best practices that, that I had written up for my class at Stanford, I feel like are very well articulated with other case studies and examples in this guidebook. Um, just like high level walking through, um, they, they have six major chapters. Um, the chapters are titled like user needs and defining success, um, data collection and evaluation, mental models, explainability and trust, feedback and control, and errors and failing uh, gracefully. Um, and I absolutely love this because it's actually a compilation of like over a hundred um, internal Googlers coming together and thinking about like, hey, what if we learned about the field of AI machine learning and um, designing human-centered AI products and how can we distill that into like guidelines and best practices? Um, so it's like super robust. Also, um, it's it's super similar to other guidelines and things that I've seen out there too. Um, I just love the, that they include uh, case studies <laughs> and examples that make it very tangible. Um, so some of the ones that um, I feel like are super, super important, like yes, all of them are important for the future of designing human-centered AI products, but um, some of my favorites are really around um, mental models. So really thinking about like, yes, I'm designing an AI system for the future, but like, how is the end user going to perceive this? How is it going to land with them? And like, what do they think the capabilities of the system are? I think this is really important if you're doing like a virtual assistant, um, because if you present it as if it can do a bunch of like human stuff, but really it's just, it only works in this one specific domain, then it feels like a, a cognitive dissonance of like, oh, I had this expectation doesn't line up at all. Um, and when you do get those uh, edge cases, maybe you are in like the domain or something like, let's go back to trip planning and you're like, okay, like I'm chatting with a chat bot and I expected to plan a trip this way or whatever. Um, if it does get like an edge case, um, like machine learning is probabilistic by its nature. So like it definitely will fail. Um, that chapter on like errors and failing gracefully is awesome too, because it's like, okay, how do you use that failure as like an opportunity to get feedback for future models and like know when you're like how people are trying to use your system um, instead of trying to be like top down and be like, okay, use it like this. Here's very specific rigid guidelines. Like a lot of um, these systems are moving much more towards like conversational or natural language kind of uh, flows or um, more fluid kind of interactions. So like how do you support that rather than being like, oh, sorry, you didn't say the magic word. Like you have to like go back and keep on typing it in until you get it right, you know? So uh, yeah, anyways, I can't stress enough. Um, the I really, really like the guidebook too uh, because it just has a bunch of like all the best practices that I would recommend or can be found there. Yeah, no, I was going to say, um, that's a, all those are especially important if you're using something like federated learning to preserve privacy. So that makes yes, a lot of totally. sense. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, what are the industry issues that you're teaching for humanizing the AI? So, I mean, all of the things that you don't normally think of, uh, like AI safety and fairness and transparency and, you know, creating inclusive design. Yeah, that's another really important thing when it comes to teaching this class, too. Um, so instead of 
talking necessarily about the industry issues, how we frame it, um, it, it tends to be more like, um, imagine that there's like this AI disaster and like, how could you be more equipped to prevent AI disasters in the future? So we actually do a pre-mortem activity. Um, it's something that's used in disaster response all the time. Um, but it's basically like, imagine like a genetics company gets acquired by a social media company and like you had never done the genetics company uh, given your DNA, but your sibling has. And like now the social media company is targeting you with like targeted ads. So it's like kind of a little bit black mirror esque. So it's like not too far off future. You can imagine that these data sets are out there and like, um, really helping the students like who are like practitioners in the field of wherever they're coming from, because they are graduate level. Think about like in your industry, how could you prevent something like that? Like what are, like while we always build for the best case scenario around AI, like, oh, fair AI and transparent AI, like there might be edge cases that you might not think of. So like, let's talk about some of those disasters and give you the equipment, like vocabulary, thought processes to be like, okay, should there be an organizational structure in place? Like when that company gets acquired by another company, is there like a team that's accountable or responsible about like, um, like how the data is joined or something like that. Uh, there's of course like technical teams too around that too, like or technical considerations about like, you know, um, what, how should that data be joined? Or is there something that could be aggregated or anonymous? But then there's also like human focused solutions. Like, is this something that people would actually want? What would be a future that people would want this? Like, could this be helpful? Could it not? Like all this stuff too. Um, so uh, yes, it's more about like teaching them like, cause we can't cover everything. So how can we give them the skill set in order to think about that? And that's also all um, available online uh, for free. If you wanted to check it out, I can share that with you too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now that'd be cool. Now that's, that's a, a very, a, I hadn't even thought about it uh, from that aspect. Now, that's a good way of doing it. Um, I can't think of anybody or anybody that's in UX that doesn't have to think of those black mirror type situations. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. All right. So let's go ahead and shift gears a little bit and for what you do in practice for UX. So I'm kind of curious what your methods are for designing the different parts of machine learning. Yes. So, um, so we actually teach this too in the, the Stanford class as well. Um, we, uh, we recognize that students might be coming from uh, different backgrounds and everything too, but also just like different disciplines, like within data science and machine learning, like there are just distinctly different disciplines. Like NLP is different than computer vision, is different than like signal noise processing, like all this stuff. So we really set it up to be like, um, we phrase it in terms of like, what parts of data science can be designed. And this is something that I end up using in my daily practice too. Um, so we talk a lot about like, you know, um, uh, imagine you have a pet store. Let's talk about like, uh, if we were to have a database from this pet store, um, like who collected that data? Was it a veterinarian? How might that motivation be different than a pet store owner? Like that kind of stuff too, about like, where does your data come from? Who collected it? Why did they collect it? Um, we do talk about um, data cleaning too. So like, you know, oh, like it might be innocuous when you're doing, uh, like I know for myself when I was learning machine learning, we were taught like, oh, just drop the, the rows that have null value. So if it's missing a data value, just like, oh, it's fine. Like we have a bunch of other data. There's like 50,000 rows and you're left with like 49,000. What's the worst that can happen? Well, what if you just dropped everyone without a zip code and you just excluded an entire population of people or something like that? You know, so talking about like the implications, we do it more fun in the, the pet store example. We're like, okay, let's drop the null values. Oh no, we excluded all the animals without the flea med. So like chickens, parrots, and fish, all the non-mammals. So like thinking about things like that in that like a fun and easy way to process. Um, then we talk about like the, you know, uh, 
there are a lot of design decisions that go into both the data side, the data cleaning side, but also like what model are you actually trying to build? The, the important part here is like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? That's how we try to restructure that. Um, so instead of being like, oh yes, I wanna build a recurrent neural network, be like, okay, I have this data, there's this user problem and like, this is the problem that we're trying to solve and how do we actually get at like the best model in order to approach that. Um, one of the, the tools that we use for this are the I Love Algorithms cards, which I linked to in the MLUX resources, but it was made by some of my colleagues at the D School. Um, it's basically like a fun uh, a card example that like you can understand the difference, very like high level of like, hey, how might like um, classification uh, change the way that we approach a problem than clustering or something like that too and like really understanding like they have fun stuff like okay like how do you classify the difference between like a donut and a bagel like that kind of stuff too so um, we talk about like using those types of things when you're deciding uh, like what type of model to use then of course all the models have a way of being evaluated but like it is a design decision like you could talk about it at a very high level about how you choose to evaluate those models um, is it precision is it accuracy that is a decision that you have to make um, then the last part too is all about uh, uh, really, okay, so you've built the model. Um, wh what is the output gonna be? Like, <laughs> how do we actually think about this in terms of like, uh, are we just gonna give like one example? Are we gonna give a bunch of examples? Are we gonna allow for different types of interaction? That feedback mechanism that we talked about before as a best practice, like, yes, you should be thinking that, about that from the beginning. Um, and also understanding too, like, uh, when I approach this, um, I understand that it's not like, it kind of is a fluid process, but it's like design thinking where you might go to prototype phase and then you might go back to like uh, doing more empathy building and understanding your customer and all this stuff too. You might like be evaluating a model and be like, you know what, the data that we used in the beginning it just wasn't super great. So I wanna get a more robust data set or something like that too and jump around to and understand. It's like a very fluid process in building out that stuff. Got it. So now uh, one of the big things that, you know, when you're designing systems, you're always uh, trying to use the machine learning to take care of really menial tasks so that the user doesn't have to worry about that. But I'm kind of curious to get your take on how you balance between, you know, empowering the user and also still, you know, taking care of all the menial stuff so that they don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it all just depends on the like use case and system in which it will be living. So it's hard to like give a design best practice around that, but I think it is still really important to understand like, Hey, what are the moments of joy in your user's life? Like what do they really enjoy doing? And sometimes those menial tasks also might be like something that they brings them joy. So they might actually enjoy doing that. But also if they, they want this like to be solved by their, you know, AI assistant or whatever, um, like calendar scheduling or whatever, like that should be an option. I think this goes back to like the chapter in the people in AI guidebook around um, control, I think is super important. And like understanding too, like, making it very transparent like what the AI is doing and like when it's it's in choosing to engage and like being able to be like actually I don't need you for this or something like that. Got it. You know that that makes a good point. So now you keep talking about uh, being able to uh, design around use cases and stuff like that but I mean as we all know that only works when the UX gets in at the very beginning of the process as you know so that they can start to the design process uh, and so I'm kind of curious you know how how do you get uh, UX or U uh, UX research involved with the ML models before the app or the model already exists? Yes, I think that this is so important because um, so much of the time uh, I talk to UX designers or um, product designers who are like 
don't you need the ML model system to be built before you can like do any testing? But um, actually I strongly believe and like as a part of my practice, um, like show that you can test the experience of the model before ever building the model. So um, work with your machine learning scientists to understand, hey, what are sample inputs and outputs and like what is the type of model that we're going to be building? Let's now go bring this um, concept in the lab and really evaluate like, okay, is this something that you know, makes sense? Are we building the right type of ML experience before we invest all the money and time and energy into building that ML model and everything too? Um, also, even just starting from the beginning before you even have a concept, like understanding like, because uh, machine learning is opening up a bunch of opportunities um, for people too. So like doing some generative research, um, methods like TripTech are a great example of this too, about like, hey, you know, how, uh, how are people like, if they were to have a conversation with another human about this, how would they be trying to solve this? Um, all that stuff too um, can also help inform what types of models you might be building. Um, and then once you do maybe have a, a prototype, like you, you can evaluate the concept of the machine learning um, while the ML model is being built. And then um, once you're able to put that into a prototype, really doing um, like a mixed methods approach of like, uh, uh, qualitative and quantitative to understand, okay, what is the data that we're getting from the prototype as well as like, you know, why are you doing this? What are you trying to do? How do you currently solve this problem? Does this prototype actually help you? Does it not? Like what are edge cases that you might not have expected? Um, I think is really important. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Now, so the, one of the problems that I've seen is a lot of the time, the early adopters, they're so willing to use the app that they are willing to change their own actions. Uh, it's, I guess it's just part of this, uh, you know, the current stage of machine learning where it's kind of this gold rush period where people so much want to use the application that they uh, will change their behavior. And so I'm kind of curious when you're testing how you make sure that the model is adapting to the user and it's not the other way around where the user is adapting to the model. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, so uh, this is a perfect example of um, why data science needs qualitative UX research. <laughs> so like data only tells you like what's going on, but it doesn't tell you why. Um, so using mixed methods approaches is like super important because um, it can uncover some of those um, like edge cases and stuff too of like, oh, like um, you might like look at the metrics of a product or app or something and be like, interesting, like people really love, you know, if we're talking about booking travel or something, they love checking out 15 different places before they book. But it's like, well, maybe the model needs at least 15 different, like you need to click on that. It's like a weird gate uh, that they found is like the threshold in order to show you the book now button, right? Like that would be like a dark pattern, right? Um, so like, that's something that you necessarily wouldn't uh, see from the quantitative, like just running like the UI click pattern data, but it would be something if you sat down to contextual inquiry and understood like how people, how customers are actually using it. Um, so I think it's like really important to also um, uh, study previous case studies that have already been written about this. So I know Spotify has written a ton, um, which is awesome, uh, about like how they combine these methods as well as Salesforce. Um, and I think I linked to them uh, in the MLUX resources too, if you're interested in seeing how other large companies address this. Cool. And I mean, obviously with AI moving so fast, um, so I'm kind of curious just to get your take on how much of it is luck and how much of it's skill and how much of it is, you know, the work that you put into it to create something that can catch hold before uh, either the app or the whole industry can get left behind? <laughs> yes. Um, well, I think ultimately 
you know, designing for machine learning and AI systems is just like designing for anything else um, where you are designing for people and designing for people's needs and their goals and their motivations. So if you have a strong understanding of like who your users are, it's the same practice. This is what I tell um, product designers and UX designers all the time. Like you are an expert in designing products for people. Um, this is just a little bit more of a dynamic product, <laughs> but you can still solve those user needs, their problems, their frustrations, and help them achieve their goals. So um, yeah, I think that that's probably the best way to approach it. Yep. No, I, I, I totally agree. As long as you're keeping your eye on the user, that that's where it needs to be. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, you know having this talk with me. Um, I just wanted to go ahead and ask, uh, so how can people find you? Yeah, so if you're interested in learning more or coming to a future meetup, um, you can follow us on Twitter at MLUXSF or I'm at Michelle R. Carney. So Michelle, like Michelle Obama, R, like the programming language, if you're into data science, and Carney, C-A-R, anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Twitter's probably the best place to, to keep up to date with um, all the cool stuff we're doing. We also have a, a the first part of that MLUX resources um, that I shared has all of our like YouTube channel and our Twitter, our LinkedIn, our meetup.com page, um, of course our Patreon if you feel like supporting us. Um, so you could check all that out too on the top of that uh, bit.ly slash MLUX resources. Uh, so do you have anything that you're working on right now or anything that you're gonna be releasing pretty soon? Yeah, well, um, right now I'm working on a couple of really cool events. Um, so uh, it, if this gets out in time, I uh, would love to invite folks to the MLUX um, NYC event, which is going to be at Spotify. Um, I'll share a link with you um, for that too, but that's going to be on the 17th of October. Um, so super stoked because we've been a very Bay Area focused meetup group and we're doing our first uh, non-Bay Area event. Um, and we're going to have um, Dai Dang uh, from uh, the Google AI, um, People in AI Guidebook speaking, um, as well as someone from Facebook AI. So it's going to be an awesome event. We're so excited. Um, I know the folks in um, NYC have been asking for an MLUX event for the last like year. So thank you. And uh, of course, all of our past talks are on YouTube. Um, so that's how folks have heard about us. Um, some other cool events that I think um, might be of interest. Um, we have our last MLUX event um, of the year on the 29th of October. That's going to be at the Stanford D School. Um, and I'll send you a link. Uh, you can register for that on uh, Eventbrite. And um, we also have a, a, the Center for Technology, Society, and Policy is actually turning five. Um, if you're not familiar, they're, they're one of the groups that sponsor our MLUX um, meetup group. Um, they're a center out of UC Berkeley, and um, uh, they're, we're hosting them here at Google. SF on uh, the 22nd of October, but they study all about like how does technology, um, society, policy <laughs> all come together in really cool and interesting ways. So the MLUX meetup was a, a project out of that. So um, big shout out to them. So now we're hosting them here at Google SF. Should be a fun night. Uh, they have um, a bunch of cool projects like uh, smart city surveillance and like how to write policies around new technologies for smart cities um, to uh, uh, cybersecurity, long-term cybersecurity type projects and zines. And it's just very cool. So if you're at all interested in like emerging technologies and cool practices, like definitely come and check that out. Um, it's also free. Well, that's very cool. I'll actually be down there in the Bay Area during that time. So I'll have to uh, sign up for oh. it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'll see you there. Well, thank you so much for that invitation. And thank you again for coming on the podcast and helping to uh, everyone here to learn everything 
about uh, designing for AI. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And a big thank you to everyone listening. For any of the resources that we talked about today, they will all be linked in the show notes at designforai.com. And if you would like to reach me, I can be found at Design for AI on Twitter or on Reddit or on the website designforai.com. And remember, with how powerful AI is, let's design it to be usable for everyone. Thank you. Thank you.